Hi, and welcome to the Scientist Podcast, where we bring you the research community like you've never heard it before. Here on episode seven, we'll be talking to Sam Tromans, a psychiatrist and PhD student researching the prevalence of autism in adults admitted to psychiatric facilities. So if we want to just get started with sort of introducing yourself and your research. My name's Sam Tromans. I'm a, um, I'm a psychiatrist. I work in Leicestershire and I'm doing a PhD on a part-time basis at University of Leicester, looking at how common autism is among adults who are admitted to psychiatric hospital wards. Mm-hmm. So you do a, a half and half split being a psychiatrist um, and then doing <laughs> research for the rest of the half, for the other half of your time. Yes, yeah, so I, I work as a psychiatrist on Mondays, Wednesdays and Friday afternoons and I work as a PhD student effectively. Um, my post is called a lectureship but essentially mainly what I do is is doing my PhD and that's on a Tuesday, a Thursday and a Friday morning, yeah. So did you start as a psychiatrist and then sort of found this path into into your PhD Um, or was it very much you started your research and then that sort of got you into the more clinical side of it? Well, I first became interested in autism when I was when I was a teenager so um, my little brother's 10 years younger than me Mm -hmm. and when he was about three or four um, my parents started to realize that he was um, different really and wanted to make sure he had the support he needed Um, so they took him to see a, a psychiatrist and he was diagnosed with autism and I think that's where my interest in autism first began and then I I first trained clinically so I started medical school um, completed medical school whilst taking a year out to do some research and I was working in the NHS full-time for six years for six years before I started my my PhD so I'd I'd been dabbling in research during that time but not not at the same level as you would when you're when you're doing a PhD yeah and and it's sort of in your in your research you you do you mention that there's sort of like a higher prevalence amongst inpatients of psychiatric facilities is that correct of autism yes so so my studies setting out to ascertain how common autism is among adults admitted to psychiatric inpatient units so th- there's not a huge amount of evidence on this topic currently mm-hmm. but prior to starting my my research study um like a lot of people doing a phd i did a systematic review first to look what the current body of evidence is on this topic and I actually only found four studies over the past wow. 30 years that had really looked at this topic in, in any great depth. And those studies seem to show a trend that autism is more prevalent among people admitted to psychiatric hospitals. But of course, um, those studies took o- were completed over a long time period and uh, understanding of what autism is has evolved quite considerably over the past 30 years so 
30 years ago, autism was viewed as a, a much rarer condition than it is now. And sort of the research that's coming out is that that's, that's really not the case, especially in these sort of facilities. Yes, so so based on the current body of evidence, it, it seems to suggest that autism is more common among people admitted to hospital relative to the general population. But even in the general population, uh, the, the prevalence of autism is about 1%. So around every one in 100 people, if you test in the community, would would be found to to meet diagnostic criteria for autism and, and what's that level in these sort of psychiatric facilities is it is it considerably higher is it around similar number we really don't know um definitively the 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 studies that i looked at the four studies that were included in my systematic review found that autism was more common and the most recent of those studies conducted, it's an American study conducted in 2012 by Mandel and colleagues. They found a prevalence of around 10%. So around 10 times that you would find in the general population. And that is probably the best measure of our current understanding mm -hmm. because it's, a, it's the most recently conducted study on the topic. Yeah. Um, and so sort of another one of your papers went into um, looking at the ethnic minorities and how there it w uh, wasn't it that they have a, um, a lower reportability of it, but those that have it have it much appear to have it much more severe. Um, could, could you expand on that a little bit, if that's correct? So there, there were a couple of studies that seemed to suggest that, um, and in the the review that. I conducted um, what we found was that generally there's a trend that minority ethnic groups rates of identification of autism are are lower than compared to whatever the majority ethnic population is in the study concern so be that a study in America be that a study in Europe etc and uh, Absolutely. There, there were a couple of studies that suggested that where autism is picked up in minority ethnic populations, it, it, it sometimes is of, on average, the people have a, a much greater degree of needs. And do you think that's I, just because of a lack of, so because the minor cases aren't being reported, the only cases that are being reported are the more severe, more obvious cases? It's possible that that could be the case. And I mean, really, a lot more work needs to be done to establish why this discrepancy exists. So why autism in general is more identification rates are greater in the majority ethnic population compared to ethnic minorities. Mm -hmm. So in, in the paper, we discussed various reasons as to why this might be the case so those included um, reasons related to healthcare based reasons whether um, clinicians like myself whether there's some kind of bias in the way that we assess people with autism or autistic people um, whether there's an environmental based difference so whether 
difference in socioeconomic status across ethnic groups is is leading to these different identification rates because people from more deprived backgrounds might struggle more to access a diagnostic assessment yeah other reasons include cultural reasons so there might be certain ethnic groups that um, are more reluctant to to access healthcare systems especially those related to psychiatry um that, that that's indeed one possibility and also it is possible that autism may genuinely be more common in a certain ethnic group i mean we know from conditions such as ty sachs disease which is a neurological condition that disproportionately affects the ashkenazi jewish population and sickle cell disease or sickle cell anemia disproportionately affects people of a African or African-American background. So we do know that certain conditions are genuinely more prevalent in certain ethnic groups. And it's, it's possible that that might be the case with autism, but we, we certainly don't know that at present. So would that would that be more of a sort of a genetic stance, or again the sort of the culture that is, and and just the the way people are raised and things like that, the differences. There there may be be a biological element to this. There may there may be. I guess on the balance of my kind of reading of the current literature, I suspect that the difference is probably more due to social factors. Right. and cultural factors that that's just based on my reading of the literature and my as well as my clinical experience mm. but i think it's probably fair to say that no one definitively knows mm. but i think it's a topic that we need to explore thoroughly because for example in leicester um the patients that i look after are from a variety of different ethnic backgrounds and i think it's absolutely crucial that we ensure that everyone receives a high standard of care irrespective of their ethnic background so i I think it's certainly something that we need to continue to explore yeah and 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 implement to make sure that that i guess you can't answer those questions until there is sort of that even you know that everyone's getting this sort of even access because then you can answer the questions of is it um sort of a biological factor or is it these factors that they don't have as much access um and and, and reasons mm. like that and the, the the other factor that probably should be mentioned is a lot of the diagnostic techniques that we use for diagnosing autism have often been validated and first tested in particular ethnic populations really so they may be they may be very good at or they may be even good at diagnosing autism in certain ethnic populations but they may might not be particularly culturally sensitive tools and we've also found out i mean with regard to diagnosis of autism in women the research is emerging that autism has probably historically been underdiagnosed in women Mm. and an an explanation for that similarly is that the diagnostic tools that that we use in clinical practice um were first validated in predominantly male based study populations so 
for for that reason they might not be as good at picking up autism in women i'm not saying that's the only reason for that discrepancy it isn't but it's it's an important factor um, and with these um sort of all, all autism diagnostic tests so so they're, they're all questionnaire questionnaires aren't they they're not sort of necessarily quantitative measures they're all there's and there's several ways of measuring autism isn't there yes what what's the differences between the different tests um are there is are there more that are more favored by like the nhs or more that are more favored for adults versus children are there a lot of different factors that come into play so there are there are some tests such as the autism quotient Mm -hmm. that are focused on picking up autism symptoms but are not not diagnostic in themselves and they can sometimes be useful in informing a judgment as to whether somebody needs to be seen for an autism diagnostic assessment so i use the autism question yeah so so they in themselves don't diagnose autism but they, they can be a useful first step in the in the diagnostic process and then there's there's other measures that form part of a diagnostic assessment such as the diagnostic interview for social and communication disorders also known as the DISCO and the autism diagnostic observational schedule which also known as the ADOS so these form part of a, a diagnostic assessment and also as part of the diagnostic assessment it's important to make a clinical judgment based upon your clinical experience your past knowledge of of the patient that you're you're working with and and factors such as that as well so there's a there's a lot more aspects it's not just one definitive test that can test for for autism yes or no there's a there's a lot of other factors that sort of come into play yes it's there are a few factors that that come into play and there are different tests what i would say is although there are different diagnostic tests they share some common ground because they're they're often looking for the same things albeit in slightly different ways are there different tests for adults as there are for children because as far as i understand autism's mainly like autism diagnostic tests are mainly geared towards children because that's sort of when it's most commonly identified isn't it yeah so compared to compared to in children the adult diagnostic approaches for autism are very much in their infancy right so we we do have a lot there is a lot more research regarding diagnostic approaches in children mm-hmm. But one thing that we we know from previous research is that there are people who go through their whole childhood for one reason or another. And they are autistic, but it's not necessarily picked up. There might be a variety of reasons for that. It might be that they're doing very well and mm-hmm. that they're not having any major problems in their lives. And so they wouldn't necessarily come to the attention of mental health services it may be that they're having problems but those problems aren't necessarily seen as being related to potentially being autistic because that was going to be one of my other questions is 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 that is because of like the sort of the misdiagnosis maybe or the not catching it earlier is that because it's sort of um 
masked as oh another condition sort of thing or is it just generally not picked up is it is there quite often them getting confused with maybe sort of anxiety disorders or, or things like that it's it's difficult to know i i think in some people's cases it may be that they're genuinely doing okay mm -hmm. and they might not necessarily need a lot more support um that that might be the case especially for some higher functioning people with autism mm -hmm. um but you're quite right that in some some cases autism can be misdiagnosed for other conditions um and and not rec and it not necessarily be recognized that this person is autistic and of course that can be to their detriment because having a diagnosis of autism can open up doors to various forms of support that, that can really be life-changing potentially i mean it certainly was the case with my brother mm -hmm. that early intervention and early support can make the world of difference but even in adulthood it can make a big difference as well and and is is that do you reckon something to do with why there's a higher prevalence in in um, sort of like psychiatric facilities because people have gone so far without this sort of help and support that they need that they're finding that people are sort of having more sort of mental health issues because of that lack of support from a young age? It's, it's possible, it's possible. And what one possibility is that someone might have been diagnosed with a mental health condition when in fact the the primary issue is that they're autistic yeah. another thing that needs to be borne in mind as well is that autistic people are at greater risk of having a, a wide range of forms of mental health conditions Mm -hmm. so such as anxiety and depression and why is that just it, it, it just go hand in hand well i think one of the reasons why that is the case is that the world and society is generally designed for non-autistic people mm -hmm. it's generally generally we have a society where where the default is that society is designed to support non-autistic people. Mm -hmm. So if somebody experiences barriers and difficulties on a day-to-day -day basis by virtue of being autistic, it's perhaps unsurprising that they would be at greater risk of mm -hmm. having forms of mental illness. Yeah. So I, I think that's something we we really need to be mindful of and i think it's really important that there is a societal effort to to make sure that we, that that we live in a world where autistic people are well supported and that they can go about their day-to-day -day lives and have a good quality of life so so what do you think in your opinion needs to be done for that to be sort of for us to get closer to that as a society just more facilities and more acceptance or they're sort of things that need implementing i mean i think more acceptance is important because i think autistic people undoubtedly experience stigma mm -hmm. i think education is important for 
for everyone so so people have an understanding about how to support autistic people and and i mean i think really there's uh, that's very important um also as well i would say that it's important to recognize that the autistic population represent a very diverse group of people yeah and i think sometimes in fact probably most of the time the most important thing to do is ask an autistic person what what is most helpful for them and how how best to support them and and listen to their answers i think as researchers as clinicians and also as just general people in society i think the sometimes the most important thing we can do is listen listen yeah and and sort of with all of this in mind where do you see your research going next sort of to, are you are you sort of going to take steps towards that sort of um making society a better place for autistic people or are you going to further go down that line because this is an area that definitely needs more research yes well i, th I think in the in the short to to medium term i hope to be on my phd do a fully powered version of the study that i'm doing at the moment so the the study i'm doing for my phd is is a large study but it's it's a pilot study so we, we hope to to take what we've learned from the pilot study and do a more fully powered study mm -hmm. to ascertain more definitively how common autism is among people admitted to psychiatric hospitals adults specifically I think in the, the longer term, I mean, when you talk about issues such as stigma and making sure the world is more supportive, that's something I very much try to do as both a psychiatrist and a researcher. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also something I try to do generally as a person. I think it's really, really important to, to meaningfully engage with, with the people that you work with. Mm -hmm. or the or, or do research with and in terms of my research study we had um people with autism inform the the design and the development of the study so yeah. we, we ran two groups at the start of the at the start of the study to to help kind of shape how we design it and also we've had people involved in other aspects of the study so a, a, a graphic designer who herself is autistic has has designed some of the artwork for the study but I, I would say at the same time I'm a early career researcher and it's a it's very much a learning process for me mm -hmm. but I think we I think we need to be supportive as as researchers and as clinicians and also to to make sure that autistic people are involved in in the execution of research as well sort of the people that your study is aiming to benefit are the people that should be helping to sort of see where the study's going sort of absolutely absolutely i think i think there shouldn't be a an a separate mentality where there's the researchers and 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 autistic people we, we we should all be working together and and it should be collaborative yeah 
Um, well, is there, is there anything else you'd like to add? I think, well, one of the things I, I would say, I think it's really great that, that you guys have set up this platform. It's really nice to have the opportunity as somebody doing a PhD to, yeah. to, talk, uh, to talk about my work. I think um, some of the things that I've learned whilst doing my PhD has been the importance of peer support. And that's both in terms of my PhD supervisors who have both been very supportive, my clinical colleagues, but also um, fellow people undertaking PhDs. I've it, it's nice. It's nice friends. to be in contact with people who are in exactly the same situation as you. Aren't absolutely, absolutely. I have. Um, I mean, friends both at the university I'm studying at and outside of that. I think we're a we're a valuable kind of source of support for one another while we're all going through the the challenges of doing a PhD. Because yeah. as much as I enjoy it, PhDs aren't aren't easy. They they mm. are challenging especially at a time like this where it is sort of an innately yes. lonely time <laughs> it's nice to have yes. people to, to to contact and just know it's just a support system really isn't it yes i mean i think almost anyone i'd spoken to prior to doing my phd anyone i'd spoken to who's done a phd i, I mean my wife has previously done a phd everyone talks about obstacles during the course of your phd and that it's it's never smooth sailing there's always going to be something and and i think that's part of what develops you as a researcher and makes you as a better researcher yeah. but i think covid in particular is a particularly large obstacle that has affected a yeah. lot of us um for a substantial period of time i mean i I don't think any of us predicted this coming when we started yeah. our PhDs. <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 been challenging, but it's also I think important to reflect on. Whilst it is, of course, important to do clinical research, it's it's very important. We also need to make sure that the safety of anyone involved in research remains of paramount importance, and I think it's important that we. We conduct our research in a safe manner that protects ourselves and equally importantly protects the the general public yeah well um thank you so so much for um coming on the podcast today i think um everyone listening will agree that it's an extremely interesting topic you've been talking about and something that hopefully will inspire people to to go out there and sort of think a bit more actively about creating a better society um, for autistic people as well as learning about sort of the work that's being done for them. So thank you very, very much. Thanks very much. You've been listening to The Scientist Podcast. To catch up on more episodes, find The Scientist Podcast on Spotify or visit www.scientist.net.